I am absolutely thankful to be in the house of the Lord with you. I'm going to, um, you may be seated. I'm sorry. You may be seated at this time. We'll let the, the kids uh, maneuver back over there. And um, they're moving. God is doing something. God is doing something. It's great to see all the faces here. Um, if you're new and I can't, I can't see from here, I apologize. But we're so thankful to have our guests and visitors here with us on this Thursday night. <clears throat> and uh, such an honor to see you all. Uh, we are having a powerful time in the Lord. We got, had Easter a few weeks ago, and we've had services in between, and God is doing things, um, not just inside the walls of, these, of this church, but God is doing mighty things outside the walls of this church, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited. Uh, we've been having prayer time on Monday, Mondays and Wednesdays, and it has turned uh, into a time of intercession. It's been wonderful. Wonderful, and many people have come through for a few minutes or a lunch break, and uh, we're still doing that. If you're interested, in, if you're free on Mondays and Wednesdays, come and join us in corporate prayer, and, um, and uh, it's a lunch break. But really, in reality, it's, it's really just to, for us to know that God works all around the clock, <laughs> not just on the lunch hour, not just on the lunch hour. I'm so honored and privileged to have the young people. All right. It's so wonderful to have the young people in our Thursday night service here today. Let's give the young people a hand clap, make them feel comfortable. I'm just trying to talk to um, get you guys settled, get you guys comfortable. Um, I, I want to be real honest with you today. I um, was talking to Pastor about what the Lord has given me. Him and I talked yesterday for quite some time, and, um, and I've been feeling a burden for this service here. Uh, I'll tell you, yesterday I got home, and I felt like I had one meeting after the other this whole week, and uh, at the same time, I've just been feeling a heaviness for tonight, and uh, yesterday I, I went home and I slept, and I slept, and I slept, and I felt the Holy Ghost speaking to me while I was sleeping. I should love when that happens, <laughs> when you wake up and you got a message from the Lord. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And today I spent time just, just making sure that I was in, in the vein of the Holy Ghost. Um, I want to, you know, I'm just going to let you know what I'm feeling. I'm trying to sneak it in during the message and stick it in after the message. I want to be straight up, up front with you all today. The last couple of weeks, I told pastor, I said, you know, there, are, there are some powerful things happening in this church, and, and not just in this church, but in this body. And I say, you know, it's not like the enemy to sit back in this rocking chair and just watch us have revival. <laughs> That's not the character of our enemy. But it is in the character of the enemy to get stirred up, rise up, try to do some things within our hearts and minds and and try to create some chaos within the family and within the spouse and the marriage and everything that goes along with it in the home and the, and the finances and the job. Um, and, and that's what kind of happens. So it's not that whenever we have revival, we ought to be afraid of the enemy. <laughs> by far, by far. Um, we are not to be afraid of the enemy. He can't do nothing to us. But 
the enemy will take what we give him. So if you leave the door open that much, the enemy will push it open that much. And so what tends to happen during times of revival and harvest is uh, God's people tend to get weary. God's people tend to relax a little bit. God's people tend to um, um, just lighten up a little bit and not push so hard. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a place where maybe you're not doing the things you should be doing daily. And by that, you allow the door just to kind of wiggle open a little bit, and the enemy comes in, and the enemy, all the enemy knows how to do is, is lie and lie and lie and lie. And so we see the tactics of the enemy in so many different ways in, in lives of, of the saints, the church, and people around us, and even in our own lives, if we're honest. And uh, we see that the enemy works in his strategies to bring condemnation. We see that the enemy works to bring disunity. Uh, if you think about what pastor has been preaching about, um, he's been preaching about unity among the brethren, uh, lifting up one another. He's been preaching about the need for one another to, to uh, be involved and not be on the outskirts of the body of Christ. He's been talking about the members, uh, uh, how we all have an important role uh, in this in this body of Christ. And we all have to depend on each other. And if somebody's missing, then it, it doesn't allow the body of Christ to, to work like it should be working. And it doesn't allow the army of the Lord to move and maneuver and advance like it ought to be moving. And so pastor comes up here, and I believe the last two messages have been about unity and have been about connecting with each other, connecting with God, obviously, but, but working with each other, lifting each other up. If you recall those messages. And those messages were given because uh, they needed to be given. God works through the shepherd and God speaks to us through the man of God. And you can see, if you kind of look at the big picture, we are having revival and that stirs up the enemy. Um, and the enemy tries to hinder what we're doing and stop the best he can. And, yeah, but when we're unstoppable, we're unstoppable. You get what I'm saying. The enemy has no power. Let me clarify. No power. Let me say this. He only, the only power he has is what we give him. But in a, light, like a night like tonight, all we've got to do is speak some things, correct some things, and he's back in his place under our feet. I'm going to say some things to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Are we okay tonight? We're going to be all right. Chapter 15, verse 57 and 58, it says, But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First John says it like this, 5-4. For whatever is born of God over, overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Jesus said it like this. He said, be of good cheer. Put a smile on your face. Be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. 
So you've got to understand this concept. If you abide in him and he abides in you, then really, 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 you've got nothing to worry about. You are victorious. In despite of how you feel, despite of how you look, you are walking in victory. Not so much because of you, but because of the God that you serve. So I, I, I want to, you're going to hear this quite often in the next few minutes. I want to, to, to bring this into your mind constantly. And I want to tell somebody in this place that you are an overcomer. I want to tell somebody today that you are a victor. I want to tell somebody today that no matter how you feel, you are not defeated. You're not defeated. I feel burdened for somebody today. You walked into this place with your head hanging down, with your shoulders hanging down. And I want to encourage you to pick up your chin, stick your chest out, and know. Know that you know that you know that you serve a God that is all-powerful and almighty. As a matter of fact, you've been adopted as a son and a daughter of the Most High. That's right. I'm talking about you. You, you young person, I'm talking about you. You are victorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're victorious. This is a sword. I, I, I'm going to tell you a story today. And I, I'll be honest, I'm a little pumped up today. I feel a burden upon God's people. This is a sword. The Bible tells us of a man, young, young man named David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, he shows up on the scene, and, and the Bible tells us that there was a, a king in place in the land of Israel. So just bear with me. I'll, I'll be like pastor. I'm going to use a pastor card. Are you ready? I need your minds. I need your minds. <laughs> I need your minds. I'm going to say that every five minutes. I need your minds. I'm going to tell you a story of David. I need your minds. <laughs> In the book of Samuel, we see that there is this, this time frame throughout the land of Israel. And the people want to be like the other nations round about Israel. And they keep begging God for a king. And God gives them what they've been begging for. And, and it happens to be King Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that he was head and shoulders over all the men in Israel. Not talking about the shampoo, but his stature. He was above. He, was, he had some height to him. And so everybody looked at, at Saul as well. I mean, he, he, he looks like he could be a king. So they bade God, God, let us have a king like the, like the nations round about us. And so God says, okay, if that's what you want, I, I, I have a, a priest in the, in, 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 in the, in the land, and I, I'm your God, and I'll lead, your, I'll lead the people. But if you want a king, I'll, I'll, I'll give you what you ask for. And so the Bible tells us that in due time, Saul was anointed king, and God was not happy. And in due time, God begins to look for another in the house of Jesse, and, and eight brothers finally finds a young man named David, King David, anoints him. But there was a process, young people. There's a process to being where God wants you to be. Let me just stay right here for a few minutes. There's a process. God may have shown you that you're going to preach to the multitudes. God may have showed you the great things that are in store for you. And we cheer you on and we support you. 
but there's a process to get where God wants you to be. David was serving. He was a servant to his father. He was a servant to Israel. The Bible tells us that the people of God were constantly in battle with the Philistines. You know the story. I'm going through it as quick as I can. And the Bible says that it so happened in this time frame that they were in battle, in war with the Philistines. And that the, the oldest sons of Jesse were in the battle fighting in the army of Saul, King Saul. And Jesse, the father of David, told David, David, I want you to go and I want you to comfort your brothers and take them some food, some, some comfort food. And I want you to, to take some other food to the generals and the captains and the, and the commanders of the army. And, and I want you to check up on your brothers and just let them know I'm thinking about them and I'm cheering them on. And, and so David goes and, and all of a sudden David finds himself in a place where he sees one army on the hill and, and, and the, the army of God on this side and in the middle was a valley and the valley is called the valley of of Elath. Did I say it correctly? Am I forgetting where I'm at here? And the Bible says that, that David shows up as a young man and takes this comfort food to his brothers and, and the Bible also tells us that that 40 days prior that there's this giant named Goliath that is stepping up on the scene, that is making fun of God's people, that is, that is, is belittling God's people, the, the, the army of, of Israel. And, and David just tends to show up on the 41st day. And so it is that, that David all of a sudden is talking to his brothers and, and he's excited about the war and the battle. And all of a sudden, uh, David's attention is drawn to this voice of this giant that steps out again on the 41st day. And this giant begins to talk some, he begins to talk smack to the, to, to God's people. And all of a sudden, David gets stirred up in his, in his heart and in his mind. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine talking about God's people? And his brothers try to shut him up. Shut up, David. Stop talking so loud. Who do you think you are, David? You're a punk. Just, just go home. And David is stirred up. And he's like, but, but who is this man thinking? Who, who, who does he think he is? And, and all of a sudden, David finds himself in the presence of the king, King Saul. And, 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 and Saul is saying, you know, David, what, what, what do you think you can go up against this giant? And David is saying, absolutely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy this giant. I'm going to take this giant head on. This little man, five foot tall. And, king, and, 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 and the giant Goliath was almost ten feet tall. Double the size of this kid. You know the story. And Saul is... Hearing this young man with his intensity and his, 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 his just excitement. And he says, you can't do it, son. You're too little. You're, you're just a boy. You're just a young man. And, and David gets to this place, watch this, where he begins to reminisce. He goes down on memory lane. I'm going to take you on memory lane right now. He goes down on memory lane and he says, wait a minute, King Saul. He says, I've got to tell you, I am remembered, memory lane. I am remembered of a great victory that I had with a lion and a great victory that I had with a bear. As a matter of fact, King, uh, it was so great that I took the lamb out of the mouth of the lion and the bear. As a matter of fact, I was in the paw of the lion and the bear. And, and King Saul is hearing him. And King Saul is thinking that this boy is crazy. But David reflects back. He reflects back at what God had done. He reflects back at the 
mighty hand of God in his life. Sometimes when you're in the midst of a battle, you just got to look back in order to deal with the presence. You just got to take a step back in order to deal with what's to come. You've got to look back at the mighty hand of God in your life. I don't know who's dealing with what right now. I wish I had that, that gift, but I don't know. But I know somebody walked into this place dealing with this, that, and the other. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, look back at the past victories. If God did it back then, he will do it now. Come on, somebody. So watch this. This is Pastor Sword. I got to be careful with this. So all of a sudden, the Bible says... That Saul gives David his armor. But he's a young man. He's not ready for the armor of a king just yet. And he's uncomfortable. And David, the young man, says, you know what, King Saul, all due respect, I just, I don't fit in your armor. The helmet is too big. The tunic is too heavy. The sword is too heavy. But, but I'm going to go as I am as a little shepherd boy. And I, and I got this little sling. And the Bible says that, that David picked up five smooth stones. You know the story. And he begins to maneuver outside towards where the army's encamped. And, and he begins to head down the, the valley where the giant is standing. And, and all of a sudden he finds himself in the valley talking to the giant head on. And the giant is looking at him from afar, but as he gets closer, he realizes he's nothing but a small little boy. And the giant, Goliath, is, in, is, is frustrated. He's upset that the, is, the, the army of God would send a little kid out to fight the battle. He says, what am I, a dog? <laughs> and that's where we hear those famous words. David says, I, you, you, you come to me in a shield and a sword, and, 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 but I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible tells us that at that point, the giant Goliath began to walk towards David. And I love this part. But David began to run towards the giant. <laughs> the Bible says that David put a rock in his sling and he began to turn that sling as fast as he could. And he let the rock go. And the Bible says that the rock went right into the head of the giant. And the giant fell to his feet. I'm talking to somebody who feels defeated. And the Bible says that David had no sword. There was a blockade of iron in those days. And and, and they didn't want God's people to build um, artillery and swords and spears. Some did have them, but most of the warriors on Israel's side had, didn't have them at all. So David had no sword. So the Bible says he ran quick to where Goliath was laying, and he picked up the sword of Goliath. He picked up the sword. It was probably the same size as him. And he chopped the head off the giant. He picked up the head of the giant. And the Bible says that the Philistine army began to flee. And God's people began to chase him. The Bible says that David took the head to Jerusalem, to Saul. The Bible said that he took the spear and the sword of Goliath into his tent. Then all of a sudden... He was, 
given the treasures that Saul promised the man that would kill the giant. All of a sudden, he, he married the king's daughter. All of a sudden, he was in this awesome place in the, in the royal court, and, and he was in the family of the king. All of a sudden, the Bible says that he would go out to fight in battle and come in to the house of King Saul. And as he would go out and come in, the Bible says that people begin to cheer him on. They begin to sing the song over and over. It was the ladies of the city that began to sing a song. Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. Saul would kill his thousands, and David would kill his ten thousands over and over and over again. It got to a point where King Saul was going crazy hearing the song that, that worship and praise David. And it got to a place where Saul was out to kill David. He was looking for him in the city. He was hunting him down. And it was his wife that helped him escape. I want to show you something. Just a few moments backwards in time, hindsight, David was in the greatest battle of his life. David received the greatest victory of his life, but now David is, is running in defeat. Why is that? Why is it that when we have our greatest battle, somehow, some way, sometimes, we find ourselves with our heads down? We find ourselves in, in a place where we feel defeated and depressed. It was the enemy's words that began to get to David, and David become, became fearful. The Bible says that he ran, and he fled to a place called Nob. Nob was a central hub of the priesthood in that hour, in that time. There was not yet a temple built just yet. And so the Bible says that in Nob, there was about 85 priests that would gather and do, do the work of the priesthood. And David shows up on the scene, running afraid, full of depression and anxiety. His greatest defeat now, his greatest victory now, he's in his greatest time of defeat. His mind is, is defeated. He's, he's running from God and all of a sudden he, he goes and finds the priest and he says, priest, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. I'm running and I, I, I need some help. And, and do you have anything to eat? And the priest says, well, we got some show bread. And the priest says, well, I can give you a little bit if you're this, that, and the other. And, and David says, yeah, 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 just, just give me some bread. Give me some bread. And as he's eating, David says, by the way, he said, do you have a, a spear or, or a sword? He said, I had to flee my house in an instant. And, and you know, King Saul was... Was, was looking for me, and, and, and I had to just get out of the house, and, and I wasn't able to get my spear and my sword. And the priest, Ahimelech, he says, you know what, David, I, I don't have spears and swords here, but, but I tell you what, he said, I do have something that's wrapped and covered. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, it's the same sword that you chopped the head off the giant. He said, it's the same sword, David. The Bible says that David said, 
There's no other sword like that one. The Bible says that David took the sword. Think about it. David was down and out. But when he took the sword of Goliath, of, of Goliath, there was something about that sword that lifted up the spirit of David. You see, the sword of Goliath represented victory. The sword of Goliath represented power and authority. Watch this. It was a sword of a Goliath that brought a remembrance back. The sword of Goliath was a reminder of the great victories in the past that God did for David. The sword of a Goliath was, was a great reminder of the mighty hand of God in David's life. The sword of Goliath to David was a reminder that there was nothing impossible for God. And so David said, there's no, there's no other sword like that sword. Oh, priest, give me the sword. I want to tell somebody here today who feels defeated, who feels condemned, who has been listening to the eye, to, to the voice of the enemy. I want to remind you today that you are not defeated. You just got to look back a ways and realize the hand of God in your life. You're here because of God. You're walking because of God. You're standing because of God. You arrive today because of the power of God. Oh, I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. I know it's a Thursday night and you're thinking about Friday, but uh, give me your minds. Give me your minds. I got to tell somebody today, rise up. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. It's the lies of the enemy that are trying to paralyze you. The lies of the enemy that are trying to strike fear in you. It's the lies of the enemy. They're trying to stop you and hinder you. But if you just look back at what God has done, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you look back at what he did yesterday, then you know he's capable of doing the impossible today. And if you allow him to do the impossible today, you know that he can do greater things tomorrow. I said, you know, in the last two weeks, I bet someone's been struggling. I bet a marriage has been on the rocks. I bet a spouse has been acting crazy. I bet there's a child been acting crazy. You know why the devil was trying to stir some things up and trying to get God's people from, 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 from moving forward, trying to get God's people from, from being active in the kingdom. And I want to tell you today that if God be for you, who can be against you? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hi, 
y al amor de Gilabacha. Just right where you're at. Close your eyes, pray and pray in the Holy Ghost. Al amor de Gilabacha. Ay, al amor de Gilabacha. Ay, al amor de I reminded of the old prophet of old in the Old Testament, Elijah. He went to a mountaintop in the mountain. On that mountain, he spoke words of faith. He challenged the prophet of Baal, 450. He challenged the prophet of prophets of Jezebel. He said, let's make an altar, let's cut couple of bowls and half and let's spit their bodies and let's put their flesh on the altar and if your God shows up and and consumes the, the sacrifice with fire then your God is the God and if my God does it then my God is the God and so it was that that the prophet of God allowed them to do their thing first they cut up the animal they built an altar and they danced and danced and danced and danced and begged their God of Baal to 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 bring down fire down from the heavens and it didn't happen. About noontime, the Bible says that the prophet of old began to make fun of the prophets of Baal. He began to say stuff like maybe your God's asleep and, 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 and maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe you pray a little bit louder. He'll show up on the scene and bring fire. Matter of fact, the prophet of old told those false prophets that maybe your God's in the toilet. Maybe he's really busy right now. Give him 10 minutes. 15. And the Bible says when the evening time came, he encouraged them to yell louder. The Bible says when the evening time came, they began to cut themselves to attract their God, and their God never showed up. But when the prophet Elijah began to build his altar, he put a ditch and a canal around the altar. He cut the bowl and put it in pieces, put the flesh on the altar. And then he filled up the altar with water. You got to understand there was a drought for three years in that land and a famine. But the faith of the man of God, watch this. He put water on the flesh and he put water around the ditch. Over three times he did it over and over and over again. He made sure that the sacrifice was saturated. And then he spoke to God. He said, Lord God, it would be great if you showed up right now, God. He said, God, there's nobody like you. I can just hear his words. God, there's, you can do everything, God. Nothing impossible for you, God. 
God, will you show up and light this stuff on fire? The Bible says that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Watch this. He wasn't done yet. He was so full of faith. He says they killed all the prophets of Baal. King Ahab was standing there looking at everything going on. They chased down the prophets and killed them. He said then he told his servants after all that was done. He says, why don't you look in that direction and see if you see a cloud. He said that the, the servant of Elijah looked and said, I, I see no cloud. He said, why don't you look seven times and on the seventh time, let me know if you see a cloud. And the seventh time the servant said, I, I do see a cloud. It's the size of my fist. It's afar off. And the prophet Elijah looked at King Ahab and said, listen, you're going to have to get down because a storm is brewing. He said, for your safety, get on your chariot and come on down the mountain. Otherwise, you'll be in danger with how much water is about to be poured on this land. The Bible says that the water came like the monsoon, and it began to drench the land, the mountaintop. And God gave the prophet of old the energy to get down into the valley of Jezreel. And all of a sudden, the king Ahab goes and tells Jezebel what took place, that his prophets and her prophets were all killed. And the Bible says that Jezebel sent a message to the prophet of old. And watch this. And the prophet of old, after his greatest victory, <laughs> the greatest, one of the greatest battles, one of the greatest confrontations with the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God. All of a sudden, the prophet of old became fearful, paralyzed. He ran from the scene. Took, dropped his servants off in Bathsheba and began to, to move as quick as he could, running again in fear and in defeat. The Bible says that he goes to a tree and says, God, just take my life. I was like, why? He's like, I'm going to die in the hand of Jezebel. Just let me lay with my father's. Take my life. I, I don't want to do this no more. All the prophets are dead, and I, I, I'm, I'm depressed, and I'm defeated. And, and he just walked out of his greatest victory, but yet the voice of the enemy spoke into his mind, and all of a sudden he was dealing with this, this, this mindset of defeat. He goes, the Bible says, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and he, he finds a cave after 40 days of traveling. He finds a cave, and he, he sits in the cave in depression and in defeat. And all of a sudden, God begins to speak to him. You know the story in, in the wind and, and in the thunder. And then in a still small voice, and God says to the prophet of old, what are you doing here? And he brings up this excuse again, Jezebel, I'm running, I'm depressed, I'm tired of this, I'm the only prophet left, there's no other prophets, God. And God says again, what are you doing in the cave? Why are you sitting in your defeat? Why are you sitting in your depression? And God says, Elijah, get out of the cave. We got some things to do. I want to tell somebody in here, get out of your cave. There's some work to do in the kingdom. Come on, somebody. Get out of your cave. Get out of your depression. Get out of the mindset of defeat. You are not defeated. 
You are victorious in God. Get out of your cave. You see, in this battle of warfare that we are in as a church, I'll be, I'll be real honest with you. I'm, I may lose some friends right now. But if I gain a warrior, then I'm willing to lose your friendship. So I'll be real honest right now. See, I happen to think that Elijah was in his man cave. See, there's something powerful. I, I just crossed the line, didn't I? There's no, there's no point of no return here. So I might as well just jump all in. If I lose a friend, I lose a friend. I love you, but I want to see you become a warrior. Now I'm talking to the men of this church. See, there's something powerful. When a woman comes to prayer, when a woman prays in her home and she intercedes and she births something into the atmosphere, but things can become unbalanced when the man of the house is not praying. Why? Because the man of the house is a warrior. And when we're fighting in a war zone, we need warriors to arise. So let me tell a man flat-footed. Let me tell a man in the house today. Get out of your cave. And because there's a work to do in the kingdom, your labor is not in vain. Get out of the cave. We need your help. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And too many times us men put our foot down and we say, yeah, that's right. My house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's right. I'm macho. Yep. My house better serve the Lord. But the Bible says first, as for me, and we seem to forget that as a man, as for the man, as for me. I can't expect my wife to follow after God and my children to follow after God if I'm not following after God. As for me first, my responsibility in my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm just being real. You see, we are, we're in a time of warfare. We're in a time of warfare. And I think there's, some, there's a whole lot of people in this warfare, in this time of warfare, that are naked. You don't have the whole armor of God. You're missing some things, folks. You're missing some things. The helmet of salvation is off. The breastplate of righteousness is off. And let me tell somebody. Let me tell somebody. What time is it? 10.50. Okay. I'm joking. Let me tell somebody. We can't be in a war zone and have half the armor on. We can't be in a war zone and thinking we're already defeated. If you in your mind think you're defeated, you know what? You're defeated. You forgot your helmet. That's why your mind is not protected. You forgot your shield. You forgot your belt. You forgot your shoes. There's too many people naked. <laughs> Spiritually. 
And you know what you forgot? Not the sword of Goliath. This is just something material that is a memorial that allows us, go ahead, it's just, that allows us to look back. But you know what we need? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Or I want to tell somebody, you want to figure out how to win your victories in your mind? You want to know how to get through what you're going through? Get into the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, I promise you. I promise somebody in here, you will look down memory lane and see the victories of old. Oh, you will see the, the, the memorials that were built. When God split the water into the Red Sea, when God split the Jordan River, you will see the memorials of the mighty hand of God Almighty. on somebody there's no need to live in your depression there's no need to live in your defeat <laughs> when you can easily go back memory lane <laughs> you can go back memory lane and you can look at your trial you can look at your trial look at your trial and you can see that God turned your trial into triumph You can go down memory lane. I'm getting emotional here. You can go down memory lane and see that God turn your mess into a message. Oh, the Holy Ghost is reaching for somebody. You can go down memory lane. And see that one that has been victimized, you can see God turn their life into victory. No need to struggle, folks. No need to struggle. God is on your side. No need to struggle. See, the report of the Lord says, I don't care what you're facing or what you're going through. The report of the Lord says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is our memorial, which shows us the great things that God has done in the past and the great things that he's doing now. Watch this. And the great things that he could do tomorrow. The report of the Lord says. Oh, the report of the Lord says. Oh, the report of the Lord says that you are victorious. Oh, Revelation says because of the blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony. Oh, 
You know, Old Testament language and verbiage, it uses the word memorial. It's simply defined as remembrance, reminding yourself, remembering back when God did this and that and the other. And it's applying that memorial or that reminder to what you're going through today. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel like somebody's going to walk out different today. I I think I'm done. I think we all need to stand to our feet right now. And I think we need to lift up our voices and our hands to God. I think we need to let God do what he does best in our hearts and our minds. I think somebody's about to be restored in the Holy Ghost. I think somebody's marriage is about to be restored. I think somebody's home is about to be restored. I think a man of God is about to stand up and rise up like they never stood up before. Come on, somebody, step out of your pew here. Step out of your chair. Let God do what he wants to do. Don't hold back right now. Holy Ghost is moving in this place. Holy Ghost is here to deliver somebody. The Holy Ghost is here to impart a victory mindset in your life right now.